Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Denial is a really bad life strategy, right? Being in denial about things being the way they are, right? Now, but uh, it's a bad strategy because you don't get to deal with what's really true and you don't get to actually address problems and make progress on them, but you're in denial. <laughs> and that's sort of a pleasant place to be from time to time, isn't it? And, and I get the logic behind it because if, sometimes if you're not in denial, you're just overwhelmed, right? That's, that seems to be the two options. That's why people go in denial because I, I can't deal with this, so it's not really happening. That's not the way it really is. It isn't that bad, or whatever the deal is. So denial is a really bad strategy, but the option is to, from our natural perspective, then is to be overwhelmed. That's what leads us into denial. Well, I can't help but think about the situation that our country is in right now is pushing people to one of those two extremes, either to be in denial or to be extremely overwhelmed. Because here's the reality, I think. Uh, this is not, I'm not telling the fortune, I think it's something we can all see, and that's that whoever wins the election this Tuesday, and we may not know who wins the election this Tuesday, right? It may be some time after that, but whatever. Whoever wins this election, I think our country is in for a time of significant upheaval, right? Either way. I mean, there's just a different motives me behind it. Uh, but so, and when you look at that, when you listen to the news and you see what's going on and what's being said on this side and that side and the extremes and, and what we think, it's easy to be overwhelmed by that. And the only way you can really avoid all of that is to just shut it out, right? And I know some people like that. They, they just, they aren't watching the news or listening to the news or, or going online either because they just, they, just, you know, it's too overwhelming. And so there's a sense in which there's denial. I just can, I don't need to pay attention to this or deal with it. So these two natural things, uh, uh, ways of uh, coping with the circumstances are before us. One side is, is being in denial and the other is just being overwhelmed. But God has a different way. That isn't denial and isn't being overwhelmed. So that's what we want to look at today, I'm talking about being dual citizens. So let's just do a quick review of what we looked at last week. And the first major truth was this, that Christians are simultaneously citizens of an earthly country and of a heavenly kingdom. Romans 13 talks about the government, earthly government, and how God established it, what its purposes are. We're citizens of, most of us here today are probably citizens of the United States. But if we know Jesus Christ as Savior, if we, you know, acknowledged our sins and, and believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world, place our faith in him, then we, not only are our sins forgiven and we receive eternal life, he moves in, but we also become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And God is going to establish that kingdom on earth one day, but we're part of it already. All right, so this means that you are a citizen of the United States and a citizen of heaven. And so the challenge you have to do is make sure that you are a good citizen of both. Remember Jesus, and I said we're just doing a quick review here, but Jesus at one point, when asked about do we have to, did the Jewish people have to pay taxes to Rome, he said this, he says, render 
to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Okay, so we have responsibilities in both areas of citizenship, both our earthly citizenship and our heavenly citizenship. We have responsibilities in. Well, what is this, that responsibility? Without going all the way back through and explaining it again, how we got there, but we looked last week in Jeremiah, God talking to his people who were in captivity in Babylon, and he told them this. He says, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. And we, we saw this word was the word shalom, which is this kind of this blessing. It's a blessing of well-being, okay? A peaceful, orderly, purposeful life and existence. So he's really telling his people, seek the well-being, of, the, of your community. Seek the well-being of your country. This place where you are a citizen here on earth, seek what's best for them. What kinds of things are really important? What things are going to matter? And um, we talked last week, just a few things that this means that we really need to think about the well-being of our, 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 our country, once again, even our local communities. But we have to care for and watch out for the most vulnerable members of society, okay? The ones who desperately need to be protected and help. And that's the unborn child. That is those who are sick and, you know, aren't able to, you know, get the care that they need. Uh, this is the poor, the truly poor, and then uh, the elderly, right? I mean, these are, are people in our society that we need to have a heart for and care. Now, the problem comes in where people disagree, Christians can disagree, is what's the best way to do those things, right? We're, we're going to agree or disagree on those things. And I said last week that, you know, we have opinions, and I have opinions, and you have opinions, and I try to let my Christian values shape my opinions, but they are nonetheless my opinions. If they're not things God has specifically said in his word, right, then, you know, we can disagree about those things. Uh, that how do we disagree about those things then? Not just between us, but with the world around us. We have to remember this, that yes, we are citizens of this earthly kingdom, but we are also citizens of heavenly kingdom, so always let your heavenly citizenship govern your earthly citizenship. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Come first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that first, okay? And that should inform how you do this earthly citizenship. And so how do we talk to people? How do we interact with them? Well, Colossians, Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, gracious words, seasoned with salt. And again, this is to make it flavorful, to make it uh, attractive, to make it palatable, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so I'm thinking, how do I talk to people about these issues that are important? I need to speak with graciously. And I need to speak in ways that Make it easier for them to hear it and understand it. That's how I know how I ought to answer. That's not always easy, you know, and we're trying to chart this path as we do it. But the idea is we need to remember that it's important how we treat each other. And something I had written in my notes last week and did not say, so I'm going to say it right now, but it's so important. The people you are disagreeing with are more important than your disagreement with those people. Okay, let me say that again. The people you're disagreeing with are more important than your disagreement with those people. That's huge. Do you see that forgotten all the time? 
Win at all costs. Win the argument at all costs. Be right at all costs. Prove your point at all costs. Even if you, and that's what, what happens. Then they start attacking the person and the, you know, all the stuff behind that. Well, we're not supposed to do that. But, you know, I mean, do, but what if it's a really important issue? <laughs> Are there some issues that you and I as Christians cannot compromise on? Are there? Yeah. Okay. And I think there's a whole, there's probably a real solid core of things we could come up with. And then there might be some things we might not all be on the same page about, but there's a whole bunch of things we would say we cannot compromise on that. And so you're in, a, in an argument. I don't necessarily mean a, a yelling mean argument. You're having a discussion over the issues with somebody who's on the opposite side of those issues. And it's hard and it's frustrating. And, and it seems like this is so important. I cannot let go of this. Well, that could very well be true. But at that point, I have to remember that that person here is more important than our disagreement. Now, neither one of us may be more important than this issue. Let's give an issue. And this isn't a political issue, but is, is Jesus Christ the Son of God, literally God in human form? Was he? And is he still alive? Yeah, he is. Okay. So that um, we can't compromise it. We can't go back from that. But I can stop talking about it, can't I? I can stop trying to make the other person agree. I can stop all of that because I, this person here is important. And, and uh, they need to know this, yes. But if I just keep pushing it, all I'm going to do is what? Push them away. Okay, so I always want to remember this. When we have disagreements with people, and by the way, this does not mean that they are going to see it the same way. In other words, they may not think you're more important than your disagreement. They may fight dirty, lie, cheat, and steal. You still need to value that person because this is a person who was made in God's image, whose sin is damaged, and who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus loved him so much, her so much, that... He died for them, right? And gave us the gospel to share with them. So we always want to remember that. And, and I get it. It's not always easy in the moment to remember that. But we do need to remember that. And this is where Jesus said, what? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So they're using their mouth to say evil of you. And you need to say, you need to bless them. You know, uh, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And that could be a whole sermon in itself, couldn't it? All right? So we want to uh, remember that we are citizens of heaven, and we need to let those things govern us. Now, I think if you, you, know, you take those issues to heart, and, and by the way, the other issues, and I said when we're seeking the well-being of our country, not only you know, the, uh, those who are the most vulnerable among us, we also need to um, approach things in a way that supports the biblical morality and upholds that because that's, you know, not only is it right, but it's what's best for the family, uh, all those kinds of things. And then as we, we look and evaluate, uh, you know, we have different individuals running, but those individuals don't come as lone entities. They come with biblical world, or no, excuse me, not necessarily biblical, they come with worldviews and a whole party and every, all the stuff that comes behind that and with them. Okay, and so we want to look and say which which candidate and and the people who are supporting it, which come from a worldview that is more consistent with the worldview of the Bible. 
a Judeo-Christian worldview as opposed to maybe a secular humanist worldview, okay? And so we need to take all of those things into consideration as we look and evaluate and say, oh God, give me wisdom to vote the way that you know you want me to. And then we do that, okay? Um, all right, so you're a citizen of U.S. and a citizen of heaven. The second major truth here is this, that God is sovereign over the affairs of men, including this election. Don't forget those last three words. God is sovereign over the affairs of men, including this election. All right? Now, I want to show you some things, and four of them come from the book of Daniel. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to start in chapter 3 on page 1022 in the uh, Bible that's under the chairs there if you need a Bible. God is able. The fact that he is sovereign over things means that he is able to do certain things. Okay? And the first thing is this, that he is, God is able to overcome the evil intentions of wicked leaders. Got that? God is able to overcome the evil intentions of wicked leaders. Go to chapter 3. In chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar is so full of himself that he makes a statue representing himself and commands people to worship him. And, of course, uh, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, we can't do that. You know, we can only worship God. We can't worship you. And he said, well, okay, i got a fiery furnace over here. We're going to throw you in the fiery furnace unless you change your mind. And they said, well, we can't change our mind. You can throw us in the furnace, but we're not going to change our mind. We're only going to worship God. And so he's really unhappy, so he heats the, they have to heat the furnace even more. They throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go in there, and what do you know? They don't die. They, they walk around the fire, and the next thing he knows, he looks in there and sees somebody else in the fire with them. Looks like God to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar is, whoa. And so they bring them out. So let's pick up in verse 26. So they bring them out. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. See, boy, is he already having a change of opinion? <laughs> servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. By the way, God may let us go through a fiery furnace. He let them go through the fiery furnace, didn't he? Could God have allowed them to die in the fiery furnace? He could have. He could have allowed them to die for the faith. In this case, he didn't. We, we don't know, but it's, there's nothing wrong with God letting us go through the fiery furnace in order to accomplish his good and godly and eternal perfect purposes. Okay, But he does it. In this case, he lets them go to the fiery furnace and then delivers them from it. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. All right, now, what we see here, he says they frustrated the king's word. What was the king's intention? The king's intention was to burn them to death 
in a very terrible way for them as an example to everybody else of how everybody else needed to fall in line and be worshiping him. Did God overcome that? All right. So God is able to overcome the evil intentions of wicked leaders. So if, if we found ourselves, and I'm not taking any of but if we ever find ourselves with a wicked leader, God is able to overcome that. I really want to encourage you today. We don't have to be in denial. We don't have to be overwhelmed because God is able to do these things. This is the, We sang about him, indescribable. In the very beginning, he's more powerful than the forces of darkness today. All of these things. All right, so let's, let's uh, uh, look at the next one here in Daniel. God is able to humble prideful leaders. Have you noticed that uh, politics seems to uh, attract prideful people? Now, that's not a blanket statement. There are some good and godly people who are politicians. And there are politicians who I would disagree with on policies who are people of good character. I mean, they're, they're there, all right? But nonetheless, it is very attractive to people with big egos, isn't it? Okay, well, God is able to humble people with big egos. Turn over to chapter 4 here. In this story, this same Nebuchadnezzar who came to the conclusion that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the only true God kind of got full of himself again. And he's looking over his kingdom and, and God warns him, gives him a dream and warns him that he needs to humble himself or bad things are going to happen. And he still didn't humble himself. And so God worked it out basic where he lost his sanity for like seven years and thought he was an animal and really took him down, okay? Well, let's see what Nebuchadnezzar learned from this. Let's go to verse 24 of chapter 4. Well, this is the dream. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. He's telling him what's going to happen. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the feast of the field, and they shall make the feast of the field, did I say? with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like ox, and they shall wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times, seven years, shall pass over till, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Right? So until you humble yourself before God and see this, this is what's going to happen to you. Let's go to verse 34. It says, and at the end of the time, at the end of these seven years, after I've lost my mind for seven years, it comes back to him. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? He doesn't mean nobody can say the words. What he means is nobody can hold God accountable and say, God, what have you done? That's not, nobody's able to do that to God. Do you see how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar? Is God able to humble prideful leaders? And let me say this to you. I think this is just uh, some, I think, insight along the way. When it comes to talking about who's president of the United States, I think that when somebody becomes president, regardless of what their, their views were um, before they went into the office, 
that they get into that office and then the information starts coming to them and they have to make decisions and they feel, I don't know how to describe it, a huge, huge weight of responsibility. And I think that has a way of challenging a person to reconsider and they start to learn what they really can do and what they really can't do, right? So, by the way, is it important that we pray for whoever's in office? Yeah, because they really do carry the weight of the world on them, right? Anyway, so God is able to humble a prideful leader. He can do that. Now, Mr. Cook, why does God, we can say he's going to do these things, we can see some other things here, but he doesn't always do it, does he? That's okay, because he knows better than you and I what needs to happen, doesn't he? Somebody once said that as a country, especially one where we can vote and share our you know, beliefs and all that kind of stuff, that we typically get the kind of leaders that we deserve, that we have earned. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And I don't know if we can always say that directly, but the idea is, I think the more often than not, what we see in our politicians is actually a reflection of what's going on to a large extent within our culture. Okay, and so I would, I, this is what I'm just thinking. So not only can God humble a prideful leader, God calls his people to do what? If my people who are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves and pray. So let's don't be prideful out here wishing God would humble our prideful leader. We need to have humility Important, important character quality for us. All right. The third thing here that God is able to do is to remove and replace ungodly leaders. He can do that in chapter 5. Belshazzar has become king of Babylon. And he is, once again, so into himself and what's going on. And he actually goes and takes uh, all of the cups and whatever was in the temple that they had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought, and he takes it out, and now they're partying with it with his friends, using those things. And, and God basically says, that's enough. Let's look in verse 18 of chapter 5. O king, the most high God. Oh, excuse me, back up. So, um, This is a discussion that's being had with Belshazzar. Belshazzar trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and so Daniel is called, and Daniel is talking to him. And he says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled, trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spear was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. 
And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God, listen to this, this is a powerful statement. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. What a thought. Does God actually holds your breath in the palm of his hand today? Could he just say, you're done? He could. Lamentations, Jeremiah says, by his mercies that we're not consumed. And so yes, he, and he holds our lives in his, you know, it says his, he owns all your ways. Wow, okay. Let's go down and see what happens now. He sees hand, handwriting on the wall. Daniel interprets it. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That very night, Belshazzar was killed and replaced. God is able to remove and replace uh, ungodly leaders. <laughs> he can do that. He may not do that, but he's certainly capable of it. If that's what needs to happen, he can do it takes one little tiny, tiny, tiny virus, doesn't it? Potentially. I mean, it's, it's God holds our breath in his hands and owns all our ways. He can remove a leader if that's what needs to happen. And then fourth thing, he is able to rescue us from bad policies set by foolish leaders. So in Daniel chapter 6, you remember, they came to the king and they said, Oh, king, you know, you should tell people they need to pray to you. And they, if they pray to anybody else, uh, we're going to throw them in the lion's den. And he got all puffed up. By the way, have you noticed that there's this consistent problem with pride? And that only happens to kings, right? No, it happens to us too. Something for us to be aware of. Even us Christians, if we're trying to do what God says we should do, we can find ourselves becoming prideful. But anyway, so he buys into this, and it's a stupid policy. It's a foolish policy that he made. And because they did this on purpose to catch Daniel, because they knew Daniel would do what? Would pray to his God. And sure enough, that's what happened. Daniel prays to his God, and they bring him before the king and said, he broke the law, he's got to go in the lion's den. The king goes, ah, I can't believe I did this. And he tries to get him out and can't get him out of the deal. And so sure enough, Daniel goes to the lion's den. We know the story, right? Next morning, Daniel's still alive. The lions haven't eaten him, haven't touched him. So the king brings Daniel out. And of course, the king, is a, he's kind of a pendulum kind of guy. He goes clear to the other side. And he takes all of the people who set the law up and now throws them in the, the lion's den and they get eaten. I'm not recommending that approach. By the way, there are cultures, and in history, the, the side that loses typically gets killed. True? In history? Thankfully, we're not there yet, for the most part. I hope. But look here in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. 
that he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Verse 27, he delivers and rescues. So even if bad policies are put in place, even if bad laws are put in place, God is capable of rescuing us from those things. He is. He may not. Paul says, yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. So the point is God doesn't promise to deliver us from all these things, but he can. And if he doesn't, he has some good purpose in it, doesn't he? See, what a place to live as a human being. Think about people today, and we've got a couple more things to look at here. The people today who do not have that kind of hope. Do you understand why there are people who are just out of their minds, stressed over this election? Because they have no hope of anything but whatever happens here and now. That's all the hope that they have. But we serve a God who is sovereign over it all and can deliver us from it. He can stop and prevent it. He can allow it in order to accomplish his purpose. In fact, let's, let's continue. Let's take a look at that. Let's go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, page 1247 in the Bible there, in the chairs. 1247, John chapter 19. We're going to see this, that God is able to limit the power available to leaders. He can limit their power. John 19, starting in verse 10. This Jesus in, in, before Pilate, and, and Jesus isn't answering Pilate. Verse 10, it says, then Pilate, he's the, the Roman governor there in Jerusalem. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Don't you understand the power? He's sort of saying what God said to, um, is it Belshazzar? Don't you understand I hold your breath in my hand and I own your ways? Jesus says this to him. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And he goes on and then Pilate says, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. But anyway, um, Jesus very clearly says, you have no power unless God has allowed you to have it. Hmm. Now, we kind of looked at that last week, didn't we? The idea of God establishing authority and granting them the powers. And so this, Pilate thinks he has the power, but he only has power if God lets him. President Trump wins the election. The only power that, God ha the only power that he has is the power that God is going to allow him to have an exercise. If Joe Biden gets elected president, the only power he's going to have is the power that God allows him to have an exercise. And like I said, he hasn't promised us that we're gonna, it's going to go easy for us. <laughs> But isn't it comforting to know that 
Anything evil toward us has no power unless God has allowed it. And if God has allowed it, we know that all things work together for good. See, you know what I mean? What an encouraging thing that is. We got to really believe that. Not just know it, we really got to believe it. Go over to Acts chapter 2. And this kind of sums up, you know, we, we keep saying, why does God allow? Why does God allow? He could stop. Why does he allow? Well, this, this, this is the final one. God is able to accomplish his purposes even through the choices of ungodly leaders. Ungodly leaders make choices, but God is able to accomplish his purposes even though he lets them make those choices. In fact, let's think. This is a Peter preaching here on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, verse 22. He says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he, Jesus, should be held by it. But look in verse 23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Okay. So that's God's plans and purposes, right? And how did it happen? The rest of you. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Who decided to do that? And that's not a trick question. Who decided to put Jesus to death? The, the religious leaders of his day, and they talked the Roman authorities into cooperating. They made a choice. They pursued this. They, they developed strategy to do it. And they brought it about. They brought about his death. And God goes, guess what? You just accomplished my good, wonderful, and perfect purposes. And who was stirring up the hearts of those people to do that? It's not a trick question. Who was stirring up their hearts to, to be against Jesus and to have him killed? Who was it? Satan, the devil, right? He's as and, and then they do it, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You, in essence, Satan, just signed your own death warrant. It is finished. It is done. Death is now defeated. Sin has been paid for. Isn't that cool? So I want you to think about that in this election, that whatever's going on, there are very well-intentioned people out there that disagree with me. There are some people out there who are not well-intentioned who disagree with me. Right? But I serve a God. I belong to a God. My breath is in his hands and he owns all of my ways. And, and evil has no power over me except as God would allow. And, and, if, and a way for me to glorify him. Do you see how we get both the two? We don't have to be in denial, do we? We don't have to ignore these things, but we don't got to be overwhelmed by them either. And it's easy to get overwhelmed by them. Just this. All right. So 
God is sovereign in the affairs of men. And finally, this point, Christ's kingdom is not dependent then on who gets elected. Christ's kingdom isn't dependent. In John, excuse me, in Jesus' conversations with Pilate, he also said this. He told them, because he, Pilate says, are you a king? They say, you're, are you a king? Jesus says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. My kingdom is not from here. His kingdom. So come what may in the politics. If, if, if by any chance everything really goes well in your mind and on, by Tuesday night late they say, your candidate is the winner. And you're so happy. Well, you know what? Christ's kingdom doesn't need that. If the candidate that you think, oh no, if that happens, that's one of the worst things I can imagine happening. And that candidate wins. Well, guess what? Christ's kingdom is not dependent on that. won't be stopped. You know, we still have the Great Commission, don't we? Now, whenever the election is finally decided, whether it's late Tuesday night or it's a few weeks after, whatever, whenever that's finally decided, that will still be true for us, right? Go into the world, make disciples. That's still, we have the Great Commission still true for us. The day before and the day after. All right? The surrender to the Lord. Grow to be like the Lord. Tell us about it. That is still true for us the day before the election and the day after the election. Right? I mean, we go on and on in our, our kingdom that this is the things that we need to remember. You know, the context may be different. What our children will experience, what our grandchildren will experience, I think will be different depending on who wins. And I think, you know, I mean, I've done my best to look at it and figure it out. I think that I, I'm persuaded about which side is going to be best for my children and grandchildren and for Christians. And that was the other thing I forgot to say earlier. One of the other issues, religious liberty, allowing people to be free to, free to, to serve the Lord, follow the Lord. Um, so the context may be different, but the responsibilities will be the same. We will still need to believe and think and live like Christians no matter what. So, does that mean then the, the election and the issues don't matter? Does that mean they don't matter? No. What did God tell us people through Jeremiah? Seek the peace of, where you're, of your country. Seek the well-being of it. Try to do that because if it goes well for the country, it's going to go well for you, right? I mean, he, it's important but our heavenly citizenship governs our earthly citizenship, not the other way around. And, and let me say to you, this is important, I think. Whoever is elected, and that's settled, and they take the oath of office and become the president, that person is my president. So last election, we had a lot of people say, not my president, not my president. And I, got the, the, I know what they're trying to say, but the reality is, as Christians, we have a responsibility to honor those who are in those positions. doesn't mean we have to agree with them. We have to respect them. We have to give them this role in their lives. We can even speak. How? I don't think that's right. I think we need to do something different. We're blessed to live in a country where we can do that. But he's still my president. And that means I need to pray for him. 
At least him, it's a hymn to start with <laughs> at this point, which I don't care. That's not. Don't misinterpret that. <laughs> um, so we have responsibilities as Christians right now. We have responsibilities as Christians on Tuesday. We have responsibilities as Christians after and in January, if ever going forward, right? And we serve a God who oversees it all. Very good. So review. Christians are simultaneously citizens of an earthly country and a heavenly kingdom. God is sovereign over the affairs of men, including this election. God's kingdom is not dependent on who gets elected. So what do we do? Well, first thing is this. What you do is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just don't. Now you go, well, I am. Okay, we'll keep, wait a minute, why am I afraid? Here it goes. I'm afraid because I'm doing this. Look, I know God is sovereign in the affairs of men, but if this person gets elected, what do we need to do? We need to flip that statement around, right? And put the truth that needs control on the right side of the bot. If this person gets elected, it seems like this, but God is sovereign in the affairs of men. I don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Second, live faithfully each day, including voting, and then trust the future to God. Trust the future to God. Here's a statement led to sink in and try to remember it. God's plans are not always easy, but they're always good. And what lies before us may or may not be easy. But God has good plans that he's going to work out in us and through us. And if it goes in a way that allows us to be free and serve the Lord and get the gospel out, praise the Lord. We can reach many people. If it goes in a way which we start to have those things clamped down and lose freedom, the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. You see what I mean? Either way. Finally then, live boldly as a Christian. Always motivated by God's love. Live boldly as a Christian. I, I, I would just, you know, prayerfully wish that a lot of what I have seen boldness in supporting a political candidate, that that boldness was more often seen in being a light and sharing the gospel. Because when you do that, people can get saved and go to heaven forever instead of hell. And whichever president wins, if one of them wins, they'll be gone in four years. If the other one wins, at most eight years. Right? I mean, they're gone. But we can bring the gospel to people who will live forever. Okay? Live boldly as a Christian. So we're dual citizens, and that's where we're at, and we got to live it. And we're privileged to live in a place where we still have the freedom to... You know, pursue these things and do these things. And so let's be much in prayer about bigger things than who wins the election. I don't care. Pray about who wins the election. But forget, let's don't forget to be in prayer about bigger things. Let's pray now. Father, we do come to you, and I thank you that you speak to us from your word, all these truths, Lord, that can help us in times like this, that we don't need to be in denial and we don't need to feel overwhelmed, that, that we can walk boldly through life with you.
And we do pray for this election, Father. I, I know, you know, everybody in here has a thought about who they think they should be president or not. And, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen, God, but you do. And we pray, Father, for your best for our nation and whether that's, whatever that's going to mean, as we've already talked about. I pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your spirit, with the truths of your word, with the, the graciousness and the faith, and that if the whole world seems to be falling apart in the next couple months here, Father, that we will have hope to offer people, that we will live in such a way that they say, how can you have this peace? Because, Father, we know that you do rule in the affairs of man, and so we... Uh, we want to glorify you by doing what you have given us to do so clearly in your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. And uh, it's going to be an interesting week. And see you. We're starting a new sermon series next week entitled Shaken and Shining. <laughs>